Over the last couple of years, we have been working our way through the book of Matthew, and we are going to uh, return to Matthew now uh, this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles, if you have one, to uh, Matthew chapter 14. If you need Bibles, they're always available on the resource table. Uh, you're welcome to grab those and, and take them uh, as yours. Uh, but we're starting this morning in Matthew chapter 14, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why this, these miraculous powers are at work in him. Herod hears about the fame of Jesus. He hears about the fame of Jesus. As Jesus is walking around and as he has been healing, as he has been teaching, if you remember uh, toward the end of last year, we were finishing the parables uh, and Jesus was, was teaching and explaining to people, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And as Jesus uh, goes further and further to new, new, more and new places to heal and to teach, his fame begins to spread. And now even the non-Jewish people, even the Gentiles and, and even the leaders are starting to hear about the kinds of things that are happening over there in Jerusalem and in Galilee and things that are going on. And so Herod now, the, the ruler of this area, hears about Jesus, and he has the same question that everybody has. Who is this? Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? And, Jesus, uh, and Herod is asking that question, and he comes to his own conclusion, but this question has been being asked, right? So this is the beginning of chapter 14, right at the end of chapter 13, it said this, in, in, at the end of chapter 13, it says, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom? Where are these mighty works? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not his sisters here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Even just moments before as he was in his hometown, his, his relatives and the people from his hometown were looking and, and, and seeing the things that he was doing and going, hold up now. Who, who is this? Is this little Jesus? Is this the guy that, that grew up here that we have known? Don't we know his parents? Aren't his parents here? Aren't his brothers and sisters here? Don't we know this guy? What is going on? Where did he get this power from? How is he doing these things? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Back before that in chapter 12, in chapter 12, verse 22, it says, Then a demon-oppressed man, demon man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And so the people are seeing the things that Jesus is doing, his, his physical healings, his great teachings, even his spiritual authority over uh, unclean spirits like these demons. They are seeing that and they are beginning to question, is this, is this 
the son of David? Is this the Messiah, the Christ that we have been expecting? Is this him? And the Pharisees, the leaders, the religious leaders of of that time are saying, no, 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 no. But there is something weird about him. He's empowered by the prince of demons. That's what's going on with this guy. And so there's this question that is in the air throughout the book of Matthew about who is this Jesus? Who is this? And now Herod is asking that same question. Herod is is asking this question of, wait a second, I'm hearing these stories about this guy who's doing amazing, miraculous, and powerful things, who's teaching and calling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and that sounds familiar to me. That sounds familiar to me. And so in Matthew chapter 14, verse 1, it says, At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Herod is freaked out. He's freaked out that he is hearing these things, and he's going, "Uh uh-oh, oh no, oh no, it's John, it's John. Now, why would Herod think that this is John the Baptist raised from the dead? And why is he concerned that this is John the Baptist raised from the dead? Verse 3, for Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So, what was the problem? The problem was that Herod, a very powerful man, really liked his brother's wife. And so he took her. And you can't just take somebody else's wife, and so he just got rid of his brother, and then took his brother's wife. And John had come to him and said, um... That's not right. That's not right. Because John had been saying to him, not John had said to him, but rather because John had been saying to him, had been telling him, uh, that's not right. You can't do that. Repeatedly, John was telling him, that's not right, man. I know that you are rich, I know that you are powerful, I know that you think you can do whatever you want, but this is not just, this is not righteous. You cannot do that. It is not lawful for you to have her. And so because he kept bugging Herod about that, and Herod didn't really like it, I mean, Herod had done what he had done, and he was indulging in the way that Herod would indulge, and he didn't really appreciate that John kept yapping in his ear about this. And so he took him and he threw him into prison, and he actually wanted to put him to death. That's what what, uh, Herod had wanted to do. He wanted to, it says in verse 5, and though he had wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. How wicked is this man? How wicked is this man? This man who sees his brother's wife and, and uh, 
lusts after her and so kills his brother and takes his brother's wife for himself. And then when somebody calls him on it, then throws that man in jail, wants to kill him, but is only restrained from killing him by the people thinking that this is a prophet. Because because John had been, you remember, early in the book of Matthew, had been marching around, preaching, proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John was apparently indiscriminate about, about who he was giving that message to. He was giving that message to everyone, even the rulers themselves, even to Herod himself. He was saying, you must repent. You must repent. And so Herod had taken him, put him in jail, and was like, I I want to kill this guy. But all these people see that he's a prophet. All of these people acknowledge that he's a prophet. So I, I can't kill him. So he just leaves him there in prison. But then something else happens. When Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So Herod has a a birthday party. He throws himself a birthday party. And you can imagine with this kind of a man, this kind of man who has this kind of power, the kind of party that he might throw. This was a big party, a big celebration. And we, he has his wife's daughter come in to dance for them. We're not talking about some slave girl or something. We're not talking about a servant. We're not talking a, a, about someone of, of low birth. We're talking about the princess here that he brings in to have dance for him and his company. This is a lavish party. And Herod is pleased with her dancing. And so he promises her with an oath that he will give her whatever she asks. And so prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. That takes all kinds of guts. This is not a small ask. This is a a big, bold ask. But here, Herod has uh, thrown this party and has, in front of everybody, told her, you can have whatever you want. And so she very publicly says, you know what I want? I want to get rid of John. I want to get rid of John. Well, we know Herod also wanted to get rid of John. We know that his wife, Herodias, wanted to get rid of John. But he was afraid to do it, and now he's afraid not to do it. So he's in this conflict because he's afraid to get rid of John, and at the same time, he's afraid not to get rid of John because he's made this bold proclamation, whatever you want, you can have, in front of all of his guests at this very lavish party, and is he the king or is he not the king? Does he have the power to do this or does he not have the power to do this? Well, he does have the power to do this. And so he's going to do it. 
And when I look at this and I start reading the story, I start looking at how disgusting this whole thing is. In fact, as we as pastors met this week to talk about this, the pastors just kind of looked at each other and went, uh, so I guess we got to preach on this story, huh? This is the next one, huh? Can we skip it? This is one of those weird, gross stories that you don't want to talk about. This is a disgusting kind of a man that you don't want to acknowledge this in church, right? You don't want to talk about this in church. But the thing that I find is that while I am repulsed by it when we get to it and I'm reading through it in the Bible, I'm not surprised by it. Because we read about this kind of thing all the time. We hear about this kind of thing all the time, far more often than we would like to, I'm sure. Because it is not weird for a man in power like this to try and take advantage of that position and then to cover up or uh, deny or uh, get rid of the consequences of their sin. This is not weird. We see this with politicians. We see this with business people. We see this with athletes. We see this with, with owners of sports teams. We see this all over the place. It's all over the place. It is not nearly as weird or unusual as I would like it to be. In fact, it is quite normal. And I find that I am repulsed by it. And I'm tempted to say, I would not be like this. At some point, I would draw a line. At some point, I would go, nope. Nope, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to kill an innocent man just because he's told me that my sin is sin. There is a line here. But what I find is that while I am quick to judge those who are in positions of power with gross and heinous sin and the ways that they cover that up, those are the inclinations of our heart. We just don't have the ability most of the time to do all of the heinous things that they do or to do the heinous things that they do to cover those up. But the inclination of the heart is still there. The things that we want, the things that we grab and take hold of and, and say, that this is mine, the things that we lust after, those things that we try to hide so that no one will see it. Why is it that Herod and Herodias think that if they can put to silence the voice of the conscience, the voice of John in their lives, that then there won't be any more problems? Why do they think that will fix it? Will that suddenly make their actions righteous? Will that suddenly justify them in the eyes of all of the people? Oh, if we just get rid of John, then I won't have any more sin. Then what I have done is right. No one will be able to oppose me. No one will be able to tell me that I am wrong. And so I must be justified. And yet, isn't that the very condition of our hearts? 
That when there is something in our lives that we don't want people to know about, that, that we don't want to acknowledge even to ourselves, that we try and cover it up and go, maybe no one will find out about this. This is sin, yes, but it only affects me. It doesn't affect anyone else, and so it's probably okay. It's not that big of a deal. Yes, this was a sin, and it did affect somebody else, but that happened back in the past, and so we're just going to cover it up so that no one will find out about it. Yes, this was a sin, and somebody is talking about it, but I'm just, shh, 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 we're not going to talk about that. Okay, shh, shh. Stop. You and I, we're the only ones that know. It's not that big a deal. You see, I think that we find that when we are real with ourselves, there are those things in our lives that we acknowledge are sin, but we don't want to acknowledge that they are sin. And the way that we do that is we cover up the consequences. We avoid the consequences. We try and hide it and keep it in secret because we think that if no one knows, then we must be okay. If we can just avoid the consequences, then there was no sin, right? But no. The sin remains. Even if you take John and throw him into prison because you don't like what he's saying, the sin remains. The king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. The whole thing is disgusting. The sin, the cover-up, the whole thing. And while I'm quick to go, I'm glad I'm not that bad, I think it's the wrong response. You see, when I get to a text like this, my temptation is to go, I'm John here. I'm John. I'm the one that is proclaiming righteousness to sinners. I'm the one that's proclaiming truth to people of power. I'm John. I'm being persecuted because I proclaim righteousness. That's my temptation. My temptation is to put myself in the shoes of John. I don't want to be Herod. Nobody wants to be Herod. But all too often, I'm far more aligned with Herod than I am with John in the purposes and inclinations of my heart. So what do you do about that? I think we have to be willing to accept when the truth comes and confronts us, whether from a close friend or family member or from a stranger or from a prophet like John, that when they come and say, repent, we have to humbly say, you're right. You're right. 
And rather than try and cover up, we must confess that the sin is there and it must be acknowledged. And his disciples came and they took the body and they buried it and they went and told Jesus. And we discover that this whole thing, this whole story brings us right back to where we started, right? Because where we started was in verse 1 with Herod hearing about Jesus and saying, this is John, this is John. You see, if we don't repent of our sin, if we don't confess it and will be willing for it to be made public so that it can be dealt with, then what happens is the guilt remains and the paranoia sets in. That's what's happening for Herod. Did it solve his problem to get rid of John? Did it solve his problem to put John in prison? Did it put, solve his problem to silence him by beheading him? Did that solve Herodias' problem? No, the sin was still there. It's still there, nagging at him. He knows what he did was wrong. It's still there, hiding, whispering in his ear, Do you know what you did? Do you know what you did? Do you know what you did? And so that when he hears about this other prophet who's walking around proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he says, oh no! My sin is found out. I've been discovered. John is back. The great prophet who told me I needed to repent and instead I had him killed, he's back. He's back. He's going to convict me of my sin. And my sins have only increased. Well, I have good news for Herod. It's not John. Herod, it's not John. Isn't that good news? No. Herod, I have some bad news. It's not John. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Do you remember who Jesus is? Back at the very beginning of Matthew, John was walking around proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they said, are you the one that we were expecting? And this is what he said, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Congratulations, Herod! You win the, it's not John, it's Jesus prize. You no longer have the messenger, the prophet who is going to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Now we have the Lord himself in flesh. Now we have the judge of heaven and earth has entered the scene. And what you're hearing, Herod, is worse than you imagined. 
Because the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, is now here in flesh, and your right, your sin, is a problem, and he is here. He is here. Watch out, Herod. Watch out. And Jesus cried out, this is from John chapter 12. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Here is Jesus, God in the flesh, and he has come and the judgments have already been spoken. This is the judgment. That those who are living in darkness preferred the darkness to the light. And when the light has come and shown their sin, they would rather scurry and hide. They'd rather scurry and hide. And so for Herod, the fact that it is not in John, but rather Jesus who has entered and has come on the scene here, is bad news. But I want to encourage you that though your heart is inclined like Herod's towards sin, and though it should be bad news for you that Jesus has entered the scene, God himself has come to judge the heavens and the earth, and your heart is inclined like Herod's towards sin. That's bad, bad news. But it's also good news. But it's also good news because Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. You see, this prophet who took over from John, right? We have now completed the transition. At the beginning, we saw John pre preaching and proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we see Jesus come on the scene, pre preaching and proclaiming, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John baptizes Jesus, and Jesus' ministry begins, and now John's ministry comes to an end, and Jesus is all that's left, right? The, the transition has fully taken place from the ministry of John to the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus is proclaiming that message, and Jesus also is going to die because of your sin. But not like John. Not beheaded to try and hide and avoid the consequences of sin. But rather, Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross so that he might take the consequences of your sin upon himself. That's what's happening. Jesus is going to take our place so that we don't need to hide from the consequences of, the, of our sin because Jesus is taking the consequences of our sin. You don't have to hide. You don't have to avoid. 
You don't have to pretend it's not there. You don't need to be ashamed of it. We just acknowledge it and proclaim it. Confess it. And when Jesus says, repent, you say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I repent. I confess my sin to you. Will you take it? And Jesus takes it. And he dies on the cross for our sin, and he rises again from the dead. The very thing that Herod feared, that John was going to come back from the dead, this prophet who was proclaiming that he needed to repent of his sin, that, that he would come back from the dead, Jesus is going to do that very thing. He's going to do that very thing to demonstrate that he has authority over life and death, that he has conquered sin through his death, and that you might be set free. What is bad news for us, that it isn't John, but rather Jesus that's on the scene to convict us of our sin, is also great and glorious news for us. For anyone who will accept him and repent of their sin, it is great and glorious news. If we reject him, we will suffer the same fate as Herod. We will be plagued with guilt paranoid that our sin is going to come back and have consequences for us and eventually we will be judged with an unquenchable fire. But for those who will accept Jesus and receive from Him, there is eternal life. In Acts 17, verse 30, it says, the times of ignorance, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus is calling you. We love to talk about Jesus calling us. I like to think about Jesus calling us as if he's a friend calling us on the phone. Oh, wait, who's that? Oh, it's Jesus. It's Jesus calling me. He's inviting me over for tea. I would love to go and have tea with Jesus. Oh, it doesn't fit in my calendar today. Sorry, Jesus. Could we do tomorrow? Yes, you'll have the tea and cookies ready. Coffee and scones. Lovely. He's inviting us into relationship with him. Jesus is calling us. Jesus isn't calling you to in an invitation for social time over tea. He is calling you to repentance. That's what Jesus calls us like. He comes and says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You wicked sinners, repent of your sin. Give it up, confess it, and let me save you from your sin. And so my question for you this morning is this. I've got two questions for you. One, who had it better, Herod or John? Herod was living a rich and lavish lifestyle. Literally did not withhold from himself anything that he desired. Whatever he wanted, he took it, he had it, he lived it up, he partied, he had a great time. was denied nothing. And then you have John, who was a man thrown in prison.
who had it better. You see, I, I think that sometimes we think that if we walk with Jesus, if we are Christians, then we should have the kind of life that we just enjoy and everything's rosy all the time. And it wasn't for John. It wasn't for John. But he definitely had the better life. The life in prison in righteousness, the life of following Jesus, the life of living in righteousness before God is the blessed life, even if it means you're in prison rather than in a party. And so my second question for you this morning is this. What are you going to do when you're confronted with your sin? What are you going to do when you're confronted with your sin? Sometimes you will be confronted with your sin by the conscience in your mind, the Holy Spirit that is tugging on you going, no, that is sin. Sometimes you will be confronted with your sin because somebody who loves you very much will come alongside you and say, do you know that that is sin? And then you're going to have a choice. You can try and cover it up and hide it and pretend that it isn't there. Or you can confess it and ask that Jesus would forgive you and walk in righteousness before him now and all the way into eternal life. Let's pray. Lord God, We acknowledge before you today that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Lord, I, I pray that if there is anyone here today who has unconfessed sin, that they would willingly confess it to you this morning. And I pray, Lord, that when they confess it, you would not condemn them but that you would accept their sin and remove it from them. That you would make them clean. And Father, I ask too that they would feel clean as they confess their sin to you this morning. That they would know in their heart and in their mind and in their spirit that you have removed all of their sin. Father, I pray that there would be nothing left unconfessed, nothing held back, but all handed over to you. That the guilt and the shame that are associated with those sins would not prevail. That no longer would they have a foothold in their minds or in their hearts, but that they would walk in freedom before you that they would feel clean. And Father, we ask that we would be quick to repent day by day and live and walk in righteousness before you. And then, Lord, we ask, as we see the sins around the world and the brokenness in this awful place,
that you would redeem it, and that which remains unredeemed you would judge, that it would not continue, that there would not be the damage and the hurt done any longer, but that all sin might be dealt with. We ask that you would do this soon. Would you come quickly, Lord Jesus? Amen.